Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Uh, this is the week before the live week, next week, uh, Sunday at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, right here on this YouTube channel. I will be doing live stream Q&A episode. And I am really looking forward to it, actually. It's going to be quite a special episode. I look forward to getting a ton of your questions and getting them answered live for you. And we'll see, um, you know, about doing this periodically. But, uh, but I think this episode's going to be a lot of fun and uh, it's going to be something really um, uh, interesting. So anyway, that will be happening next week. Make sure to be here for it. Uh, again, that is at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time right here on this YouTube channel. Uh, Sunday, Father's Day. All right, so let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Andrew McCullough. If a Scientologist agreed with most things in Scientology, but not some central principle, such as the idea that Thetans can't be destroyed or whatever, because it wasn't their truth, would they get pushback from the church on that, or would the church slash auditors let it slide? No, the church and the auditors are not going to let that slide. The basic principles of Scientology, as I actually laid out three, three of really important ones in a video that I made just this last week about uh, Scientology and faith, because Scientology actually is a faith-based uh, religion or idea, even if the people who are in Scientology don't realize that. Um, but you have to accept certain principles in order to, you know, have Scientology make any sense to you even. And one of those, of course, has to be the existence of a Thetan and the, uh, and the existence of Theta, uh, which is the spiritual component of Scientology. And there is absolutely zero evidentiary proof that Theta exists or that you or I are Thetans, as L. Ron Hubbard describes the term. And uh, yet, you have to buy into this in order to be a Scientologist for any length of time. So if you are learning about this in the classroom or in an auditing session and, and they're talking about Thetans and you're looking up definitions of, of, of what a Thetan is and what it's all about, and you go, yeah, no, I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think that's true. There are a lot of steps that are going to be taken in order to try to convince you of this. And um, for example, the first thing they're going to do is, is make sure that you understand all the words, not only the word Thetan and the word Theta, but you're going to get grilled and really raked over the coals on all the words uh, in the text that describes what a Thetan is and what Theta is. And you're going to um, then there, you know, if, if that, if you clear all the words, right, you look them all up in dictionaries and you use them in sentences and, and you really get a good grasp on what this thing is saying to you and you still disagree, you still go, yeah, no, I, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, sure, maybe man has a spiritual existence, but, you know, he's not immortal. That's just, that part's not true. I just don't, you know, and you're actually like upfront about this and, and by the way, a lot of Scientologists are not upfront about their disagreements because they know that they're going to end up spending a lot of time uh, doing these things, like the word clearing, in order to get it cleared up with the person. So it's better to just sort of, I, I think a lot of Scientologists just sort of uh, turn off the, 
the critical thinking machine in their head because it's so much trouble that they have to go through in order to be convinced that everything Hubbard said is, is, is true. Uh, following the word clearing, for example, if I was a course room supervisor and I had a student who was saying this to me, the word clearing would have been first. Following that would have been a procedure called um, false data stripping, which is a whole, whole series of questions that are asked person has sat down with a with a person who's you know taking notes and and asking them questions about well you know let's let's see if there's any false information you've been given about spirituality or about theta or thetans that maybe is monkeying up the works in your head so that you're not able to agree with L. Ron Hubbard on this and uh, and of course in in uh, in the course room they wouldn't say so you agree with L. Ron Hubbard they would say, well, so that this concept is totally clear to you, right? So that we're, you know, talking apples and apples when we're talking about Thetans, because it's very important that you uh, understand this concept fully and that you're on board with it, right? So let's do some false data stripping. And then you would be asked questions like, um, if the subject that we decided on that was the, the kind of the source spot for you was a spirituality, then you might be asked, um, you know, in spirituality, is there anything you've run across that you, that uh, um, never made any sense to you, right? And you go, well, sure, uh, you know, it never made any sense to me that that uh, spirits could exist in dogs or something. I mean, whatever your, your statement is. And they go, okay, well, have you been given any false data regarding this? And then you have to search around and see if there's something you've been told or educated on that you would now think of as false. And of course, the problem with false data stripping is that it's just a thousand percent confirmation bias uh, reinforcement because, you know, what's what because, of course, what you're expected to find as false information is anything that counters what L. Ron Hubbard says. So if you said, yeah, I was given false information by L. Ron Hubbard that, that spirits live forever. <laughs> then the guy who's doing the false data stripping on you might say, well, let's take a look around and see if there might be something else that you were told. Uh, that might be hampering your ability to, to, to see that, right? They're not going to accept that answer. <laughs> that's, that ain't going to fly, right? Uh, it's not Hubbard's information that's false, ever. <laughs> okay, so, so that's why I say false data stripping is really just a, a, a routine that you go through, sort of this whole mental recall thing that you go through in order to uh, affirm you know, the, the, the bias that Scientology wants to feed you, right? Um, you might also be directed to do uh, demonstrations or clay demonstrations of these concepts, right? Uh, where, again, as a supervisor, I might assign you to sit down at the clay table and you're going to get some clay and you're going to mold it into people and objects and things that are going to demonstrate the concept of a spiritual entity or being living forever, right? And maybe maybe you might show how it goes from one body to the next to the next from life after life or something like that to sort of demonstrate the principle of the thing, right? And clay demonstrations are, uh, according to L. Ron Hubbard, are meant to not only clarify material that you're studying, but also to make the material more real to you, make it like kind of put it there in clay and the physical, you know, mass and and, uh, and that way you're more readily, you know, okay, now I kind of get the concept, right? Hubbard said if you can put something in two dimensions or three dimensions, then, then you actually get it, you understand it. And if you can't do that, then you probably don't. And I think he probably had a point with that. 
Um, now, whether that concept is original to L. Ron Hubbard or not is a whole other discussion, but, um, but that's part of the study uh, procedure in Scientology. So you could get that, and then there are actually even more intense things that could be done that involve auditing procedures. There's lists that they can do on you in an auditing session, like a, a study green form or a student rehab list, or there's, there's about three or four different auditing actions that could be done to try to find and, and eradicate uh, study issues that you're having that you just somehow can't seem to agree with L. Ron Hubbard on this point. There's also something called crashing misunderstood word finding, which is a crashing misunderstood is not just a word you don't understand, but it's, it's of such deep significance and importance to you personally, whatever the word is, it could be anything, that it's crashing you in, in your entire life because you don't get this word. And that involves hours of, of punching around and, and going through your materials and trying to find you know, some word you don't understand that's like the big daddy misunderstood word, right? It's crashing misunderstood. So there's a whole procedure for that. That's very long and involved. So, you know, it really doesn't ever end. I mean, there's just all this stuff that gets done. And if they do all of that, and then you finally are like, you know, you're either going to accede and go, okay, okay, I get it. I understand. I agree. Fine. Thetans live forever. Uh, you know, because what are you going to do? Prove that it's wrong? I mean, <laughs> you, know, you can't exactly disprove that Thetans don't, you know, live forever because they don't even exist. But... Or if they do exist, there's no tangible way to, to prove it, right? Um, or, you know, so if you, get, if you get to the end of this whole thing and you haven't done that, you find you're holding to your guns and, oh, this is how it is, um, then they'll finally go, okay, fine. Fine. You know, you'll cognite later is what they'll say, right, to themselves. Cognite in Scientology means you'll have a realization about something. You'll twig on it. You'll have an epiphany. Right? So they'll just go, okay, you'll get it later. Just keep studying. But this is after, you know, days, weeks of work on this. Okay? So, so they're not going to let up on these core principles of Scientology very easily. And um, that actually, everything I'm describing to you is actually part of, I guess, what we would call the mind control of Scientology or the indoctrination of Scientology is, it's, is you're not allowed to simply think that if it's true for you, it's true, and if it's not true for you, it's not true. I mean, yeah, eventually, but only after jumping through so many painful and expensive hoops, because a lot of this stuff I was talking about is not free. You have to pay for that stuff. Um, that it's easier to just change your mind. Just go, okay, I, you know, fine. I, you know, I agree. And that happens over and over again in Scientology when you start questioning what is going on or, or the, your understanding of the materials that, uh, you know, of Hubbard, right, his lectures and his books. So that's a short rundown on, on that, and I hope that answers your question. Charles Benedetti, have you ever at any time along your route of smashing Scientology felt a twinge of guilt or remorse or caution or that you've gone not only astray from Scientology, but more importantly, astray from honesty and truth. Okay, Charles, I decided to take up your question, even though I think it's really just kind of a jab at me because I know you're an independent Scientologist, or you're a Scientologist, and you come around and, and uh, you know, sort of rag on me on my channel. But I thought I'd, I thought I'd take up this question because it's actually addressing an important point, and that is my 
relative uh, acceptance of, of the truth or honesty. And I want to be really clear that everything I say on my channel and from day one has been the honest truth as I perceive it. And I am, as a critical thinker, open to changing my mind at any time. I think that uh, stating that a person doesn't know something when they don't know it is, uh, is intellectually honest and is an important position to take. And so uh, when I get asked questions that I don't know the answer to or I'm not sure of, I try to be honest and just say, look, I don't know. Um, and my views since my channel has started have changed uh, to a degree on one on this and that and the other thing. And I've tried to express those changes over this time because I don't believe in holding on to a fixed position or holding on to some claim or argument simply for the sake of doing that. I hold on to the claims and, and beliefs and, and uh, statements that I make because that's how I see things. Now, those, the, thing, the way I see the world and the way that the experiences that I've had and the things that I've learned are different from what other people have learned or experienced and how they see the world. We all have our own points of view on things and you know, your point of view is yours and my point of view is mine and you know, the idea of an ultimate objective truth that is out there for us to discover, I don't know, you know, I don't know about that. Uh, you start getting into some pretty deep philosophical territory pretty quickly when you start talking about ultimate truths. So instead, I try to just kind of go away from that because that's the path of, of you know, uh, Tylenol and headaches and, and you know, heartaches and, and a lot of arguing without a whole lot of substance. Instead of going down that road, I try to just say, look, um, I want to, I want to live an honest, truthful life, which means that when I'm presented with evidence or information or facts that are different than what I think or what I felt that I, that I know, uh, if, I, you know, if I get new facts, new information, then I will adjust my thinking accordingly. And I think that is really all you can ask of anybody because we can't be expected to all have the truth with a capital T at all times. Uh, and in fact, most of us don't have the truth all the time. We have our opinions and our ideas based on our, you know, goofball faulty educations and our goofball faulty memories and our various experiences and, and, we, and our biases, the things we are raised with that affect our thinking in ways we don't even realize a lot of the time. So, so these all, you know, kind of come together to, you know, for some people end up saying some pretty goofy stuff that a lot of us would just look at and go, yeah, I don't think so. Um, it's not the questioning of a position or a claim that I have a problem with. It's the denying of verifiable, observable evidence that, that I start having a problem with. If somebody starts talking to me about the positiveness and, and workability of Scientology, I will acknowledge that there are some people who are helped be, you know, through Scientology procedures. But because I've seen that happen with my own eyes, I've seen testimonials of people, I've observed, you know, I've done it myself where I've used Scientology on people and they felt happier or they felt better or the, a situation that existed with them 
didn't exist anymore, that was, you know, kind of a non-optimum condition uh, for them at that time, right? Like marriage troubles or, you know, the kid was on drugs or something like that and didn't want to be and he was ruining his life. And we used some Scientology and, and managed to convince the guy not to do that or to change that condition, right? So, I, so I've never said that doesn't happen with Scientology procedures, right? But I've also questioned, well, you know, what is Scientology exactly versus what did Hubbard plagiarize from other people? And I've also said, yes, that happens, but if you look at the bigger picture, there's a lot more destruction and harm that comes about through the uh, using, you know, using Scientology out in the out in the big wide world and through its organizations, especially that that you really can't deny, and and you shouldn't really try, right? So it's a balance of these things, and it's a and and I'm I've said uh, in writing and comments on my channel, and I'll say out loud right now, if you you know as a Scientologist, if you can show me. Uh, clear, as described by L. Ron Hubbard in Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health, and in the materials, you know, since, or if you can show me an operating Thetan as described by L. Ron Hubbard in the materials of Scientology, like in Scientology 8808 and Scientology 0 to 8, or sorry, uh, 880 rather, um, you know, in these books, in these materials, somebody who is at cause knowing and willing cause over matter, energy, space, time, life, and form, and they can demonstrate that, I'll change my mind. In a second, I would change my mind. I'd be happy to, right? If somebody could show me valid evidentiary information, you know, like proof that there is a God, I'll believe in God. In fact, I wouldn't even have to believe at that point. I would know that there's a God. It wouldn't just be some dim hope, right? Uh, like these are, you know, these are things that are that are matters of faith because there is no evidence, and so they're up for debate and argument and opinion and and that sort of thing. But when it, you know, it's uh, I think it comes back down to that statement I made in my in my video quoting uh, Moynihan. You know what I mean? You can you know, choose your own opinions, but you can't choose your own facts. So that's kind of my take on that. I hope that answers the question, even though it was kind of a you know, jab at me. I hope that I've given you an honest and reflective answer, and uh, I hope that does some good. Warner856. A while ago, you mentioned that just before you left the Sea Org, you went online and started researching. I think you said you went to Mike Rinder's website, but I'm not certain that's the one. In any case, how did you get access to the internet from inside the Sea Org? I thought they had software that wouldn't allow it or something. Here's how this went down. I was out on the road and I was doing recovery of Scientologists. So I had a laptop and I had an internet, I don't know, you know, USB stick or dongle or whatever you want to call it, uh, that I had paid for with project. I was out on missions and uh, missions or projects. So I paid for it with mission funds and, um, and, I, and I paid for, on a monthly basis, internet access. Now I justified this as a Sea Org member because I was using internet access to do um, tracking down people, right? Skip tracing. I was looking up addresses and phone numbers and I had to find people who we had old addresses and phone numbers for, but no other record of them. If I was going to be able to do my job effectively, I had to be able to track people down. So that was how I initially had this access. And um, it was special. It was different. 
uh, was not something common to all Sea Org members, and I was off the base. I was traveling around the Western United States at the time. I also had a BlackBerry phone, right, that I had managed to get my hands on, and it had internet access. Uh, that eventually got got uh, got taken away um, because it had internet access, and they they were cracking down on it. This, these things go in 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 waves, right? Pendulum swings this way and that way. Uh, with uh, the security in the Sea Org, right, where they'll come down really hard and and go through all of the you know dorms and all through all through the uh, the whole uh, birthing complex, and they'll take everybody's TV or they'll take everybody's movies away from them, right? There was a huge thing where they did that. They just took everybody's DVDs one day. Didn't even tell anybody it was happening, right? And then over the next year, slowly they got doled back out to people as things went lax again, right? So this is what I'm talking about. So I had internet access out on the road, and of course, having internet access and being the inquisitive person that I was, I was online looking at Google News and Google this and Google that, and I was fascinated by it. I had been early, just before I'd been out on those projects, I had been involved with setting up the computer system at Bridge Publications when it moved to its huge football field size building. Uh, we put, um, uh, fiber in the building, a fiber loop, and we set up internet access for the bridge executives and for the staff and everything, and we networked all those computers together. Uh, so some of the staff had internet access, and um, one of them had Scientology on a, on a Google search, a, a daily Google search. And that, that, I think, was the very first time while I was setting up these computers and, and, and dishing out logons and, and debugging computers, that I saw Google had that ability to be able to serve you up news based on a keyword search. I think this was uh, probably 2009 or 2010 when, when that happened. And of course, some of the stuff that was coming up in regards to Scientology at that time, were uh, my eyes were wide open. I was looking around the room. There was nobody else in the room. I was like, thank God, because I know I'm not supposed to be looking at this stuff. Tony Ortega's site was coming up. There was bad news about Tom Cruise or celebrities and various things. And I was like, holy shit. So I was pretty electrified. So that's how I learned that there was stuff out there to see. And then later on when I was out on the road and, you know, had internet access that nobody was um, filtering, right? I peaked from time to time, right? And I tried to be a good chicken. Tried to keep my ethics in, you know, tried to, you know, no, now, come on, don't be looking at that N theta. But I'm just too damn inquisitive. And I, and I didn't yet start, this is, this is way before, I was not about to start looking at Xenu or OT materials or confidential stuff. I was still very self-policing. So, um, and I was trying to, you know, because I knew also that, coming back from these projects that I was out on that I could be sec-checked, I could go on the meter. They were pretty, you know, I was in a unique position where I was going out project after project after project, and they weren't really sec-checking me between each one like they were supposed to. I was slipping through all kinds of cracks, and I was very lucky and a little sly about all of that. So, um, so I wasn't getting sec checks every time I was coming back to the base. I kept my laptop with the internet dongle, and I was, you know, and I was more interested, frankly, at that time in, in news and not Scientology-related news, but just news, 
uh, world events, you know, kind of keeping up on what was happening. I thought that was kind of fascinating. And um, movies, entertainment stuff, you know, watching TV shows online. I mean, I was, I, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing any of that stuff, but I, but I was. So, um, so it was really a, a matter of self-policing. Now, when the fast forward a couple years, and I'm on, I'm on the mission uh, in Twin Cities, and uh, that we'd opened up the Ideal Org. This was uh, 2012, and just no, sorry, 2011. This is 2011, and uh, and I was there in Twin Cities for most of that year. I think it, I think the org opened in late summer of that year. And so I'm on the mission to, to get the place going. There's internet in the building, right? But it had been set up with, um, with some filtering, but then there was a public access hub uh, through the building's internet service that didn't have a filter set up on it. Now, I don't know why. I don't know how exactly that happened. Uh, maybe because it was still pretty new and Incom didn't put all the locks on it or something or security hadn't or I don't know. But I was out in Twin Cities and I was using the org's um, internet. Oh, or I still had that dongle. It was one of these two. One of these two things happened. But I had internet access that was unfiltered. And Debbie Cook's email came out. And this was New Year's uh, between 2011-2012, right? And I read it. And that led me into because I because it was an electrifying thing. Debbie Cook sent was a was the captain of Flag Org. You can Google who she is if you don't know who I'm talking about. But it was a big deal. She wrote this long uh, essay with lots of L. Ron Hubbard quotes about how off the rails David Miscavige was and how the church was going in the wrong direction. And she emailed this out to like 12,000 Scientologists. So, of course, there were Scientologists in Twin Cities who got this email, and we had to deal with them on it. So I was like, well, what's the big deal? I'm going to read this email. <laughs> and I agreed with almost every line of it. And I was like, holy cow, this is, this is amazing. And that led me to Tony Ortega and to, um, I think... Uh, Xenu.net, although I didn't spend a lot of time there because I was still avoiding the OT confidential materials. I did not want to read about Xenu, did not want to hear about it. Uh, so that sort of led me into Tony Ortega's site, though, and I started reading it a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And this was when I had decided to uh, leave the Sea Org and you know, be on my way. And within a few months, I was back in LA and I was doing the leaving process. So a year later, when I come, you know, out to Twin Cities again as a civilian, so to speak, um, I knew there was Scientology stuff out there. I just didn't know the depth and, and breadth of it. And I didn't know how far down that rabbit hole, uh, you know, it went. Uh, but I found out, you know, within a few months after leaving the Sea Org, and that is how I ended up here. So that's kind of the, the internet access story, and I hope that gives you some more insight on, on how my situation was, was unique. It was not, you know, when I was back on the base, when I was leaving Scientology, or leaving the Sea Org, rather, um, I, I, it was filtered internet access. I didn't have um, unfettered access to the internet. Um, and so I, you know, so during that whole time period, I was not, you know, looking at any anti-Scientology stuff. I was just trying to leave the Sea Org. And that was, in fact, the time when they put the internet access 
available to the crew uh, on the on the pack base at Big Blue. So that was um, that was in 2012 that that all happened. So I did get access to that internet, but it was totally filtered, and you know you just look up you know, entertainment, news, stuff like that, but you weren't going to get any access to Trey and Matt or, or any of the anonymous sites or anything like that. So that's how that goes. Marcy, something I don't understand is that according to Ron, if you do something bad, you get a bad flow in return, right? That was hammered in my head from a very young age to the point that it gave me nightmares. Unless what Ron said is simply baloney, but I've heard that saying in other words from different people. So why is the Church of Scientology still standing when it has done so many bad things to others? Yeah, the concept in Scientology is kind of karmic, but it Hubbard explains it in terms of electronics, actually, and uh, says that a phaeton operates with electronic flows, and when you do something to somebody else, like an overt act, a harmful act, like you stab them or steal from them or, or kill them or whatever, you are, you know, you're outflowing this stuff, and, and through some chicanery, which I actually can't even remember because it was so kind of strange and difficult to understand, uh, that flow out is going to result in a flow back in. You're going to pull it in. This is the Scientology. This is where that phrase comes from, is, is Hubbard was talking about flows, and he said that you have to have a balance of flows, and if you flow out too long, you need to flow back in. And, and he explained all kinds of things, communication or perception or uh, you know, committing harmful acts. All of these could be explained in terms of flows in and out. And flows, the concept of flows, electronic flows in and out, are very, very important to, um, to some basic explanations of, of how and why auditing works, right? Now, it's all kind of goofy and, and, and really, in the end, is malarkey as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not going to even try to break all these weird esoteric concepts down for you except in the simple terms I've already given. So that being what it is, um, we can really sort of summarize it back down to uh, the idea of, uh, at least the Western idea, not the Eastern idea, because I know this is an alteration from the original uh, concepts of it, but the Western idea of karma being that, you know, you're going you're gonna to get what you give and you're going to, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's, that's, it is baloney. <laughs> because here's the, the whole, the harsh, cold-hearted truth is that the universe is not fair. There is, the universe doesn't hand you things and it doesn't take things away from you. The universe is simply the universe. It's a place where we live. And that is the entirety of the significance of the universe. The universe doesn't have a consciousness. It doesn't have an awareness. It's not, you know, there's no mother nature who's watching over you and seeing whether you're doing, you know, good or bad. There's no Santa Claus checking if you're naughty or nice. You know, this, this, this stuff just isn't, it isn't how things work. So you can use as much confirmation bias as you want to explain how good things happen to you some days and bad things happen to you other days. But, you know, really in the end, you're just making shit up because the universe is a pretty random place. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people and vice versa on both of those things, by the way. Bad things happen to bad people all the time and good things happen to good people all the time. So you can find whatever you're looking for in this, on this planet and in this life. And, uh, 
you know, and, and it's just random circumstance, happenstance, and whatever degree of, of uh, you know, motive, what, I don't know, I'm looking for the right word here, whatever you can do, basically, to create your life and do the things in your life that will, you know, bring in good things to you, well, of course, do them. You know, it's not that your actions don't count or don't matter. It's not like there's no such thing as morality, and it's not like, you know, that, that, that it's, it, it is, there's a certain degree of truth in the fact that if you are, you know, do good things, that other people will notice that and they will do good things back to you if they're good-hearted people. That happens all the time. So it's not like it doesn't matter what you do or something. That's not, that's not the, the, the moral of the story here. It's just that this idea that there's some cosmic scale keeping a balance of your life and, you know, what you, you know, the bad that you do is going to be somehow matched by some, you know, karmic uh, sledgehammer. That's just not, that's just doesn't, things don't work out that way. So that's my take on that. David Rogers. I have recently become aware of the concept of gaslighting. From my own perspective, I have been involved in spiritual groups who have applied a lot of coercive techniques and then rewritten the narrative to cover it up when they are unsuccessful. Obviously, the policy of disconnection involves rewriting narratives to protect the church, but are there a lot of gaslighting techniques going on within the church on a day-to-day -day basis? How does this manifest? Well, as I was just talking about with karma and all that, the, thing, the idea of pulling something in in Scientology is a pretty big one. It's pretty universal throughout the Scientology culture. And so that actually is kind or can be used as a kind of gaslighting where they will blame you for having committed some overt, having done some harmful action or moral transgression. Uh, if you get sick or something bad happens to you, well, you must have pulled it in then. You must have done something that would make that happen because things don't just happen to good people. This is the idea in Scientology, right? Is that, is that in, the only reason why bad things happen to you is because you've done something to pull it in. And this will send you on a search through your life to figure out what it was you did recently or long ago to pull in this bad thing that happened to you, whether it's your house burning down, somebody stealing your car, losing your job, you know, your kid's on drugs, whatever it is that, that, that you know, that, that is so bad, you know, what did you do that made that happen, that pulled that in, right? This is, this is almost just textbook gaslighting, and it goes on every day in the world of Scientology. So I think that's, in a, that's a fair enough example of, of how that works. Why won't you answer me? Hello? This is your cell phone. Hello? Sorry, one, one second. What? Really? Oh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks. Bye. Well, apparently it's time for Flash Answers. MK Ultropolis. What's your opinion on 2017 Mark Rathbun? And Roginello1. Have you been watching Mark Rathman's recent YouTube videos on Going Clear? Do you have any thoughts on them? Uh, I have limited numbers of thoughts on Mark Rathman and his videos. He went radio silent for months and now is uh, coming out with a rehash of what he already wrote earlier on his blog, which itself was an about-face from his earlier positions on 
Scientology, the workability of, of uh, Scientology, the anti-Scientology community, and the and you know, he, and then he went on this long rant about the anti-Scientology cult. And now he's making videos deriding the Going Clear movie uh, documentary and saying that Lawrence Wright in his book Going Clear got a number of things wrong and uh, you know how dare he. Well I don't agree with pretty much anything Mark Rathman is saying these days and haven't in quite some time. And I don't really have a lot to say about it because there's really not much more to say. You know he's an ex-Scientologist. I don't know the circumstances of his life nor do I really care. Um, is he working with the church? I have no idea. Would it matter to the content that's coming out that he's pushing out? Not really. Uh, you know, it might be interesting, it might be salacious uh, to know more about whether there's some secret deal going on behind the scenes, but in the end, does it really matter that much? Not really. And it's not going to change anything about what I'm doing here on my channel, and I don't think it should change anything about what any other ex-Scientologists are doing in order to recover from Scientology, move on with their life, and expose whatever abuses they want to talk about or expose in their journey. And that's pretty much everything I have to say about that right now. A clockwork ray station. Just a quick random question. Does Scientology have a policy on tattoos? Are church staff or Sea Org members allowed to have visible tattoos or piercings? Are there restrictions against certain hair colors or styles? Thanks in advance and take care. Hey, I hope I got your name right there. Uh, just sort of guessing. I, I know you told me at one point and I just totally forgot. Um, yeah, Sea Org members are allowed to have tattoos, but no, they're not supposed to be visible. They're not supposed to be out in the open and that, and that will be frowned on. If you go into the Sea Org and then you were to get a tattoo that like somewhere visible, that would be a real problem. They would have very, very serious problem with that. Coming into the Sea Org with tats, eh, you know, there's not really a whole lot they can do about it, but they're not gonna be too keen to recruit you if you had facial tattoos or piercings. You're gonna lose all the piercings. Uh, that's going by the wayside, right? If you have nose piercings, lip piercings, nipple piercings, whatever, that's, that's all gone, right? You're not gonna be allowed to have any of that because they're gonna consider it weird and, and sort of, uh, you know, perverse in a, in a sort of way, and certainly not up to the Church of Scientology's standards of appearance. So there is that. I also knew a guy one time who's, uh, who was a Sea Org member who got the uh, Scientology cross uh, tattooed on his arm. I knew another guy who got the Sea Org symbol tattooed on, you know, the little horses, seahorses and the little uh, uh, stars and the wreath. Uh, he got in trouble for that. That was not uh, looked well upon. Now, of course, nobody made him remove it because uh, it was hidden underneath his clothes, but uh, yeah, nobody was, was too into that. Basically, you can summarize Scientology's staff appearance by very conservative, very businesslike, and uh, compare any you know, ideas you have against a business standard model, conservative business standard model, and that's, that's gonna be your answer. Gern Blanston. I was wondering how soon after becoming a Scientologist do people learn about the disconnection policy? I would think if it's known right away that most people wouldn't want to become a member. It's not so much when you find out about it as to how you find out about it that actually matters because the way Scientologists are indoctrinated in the disconnection policy has to do with antisocial personalities and how, how you would disconnect 
from a criminal who was in your life or an antisocial psychotic who was in your life, and that would be perfectly acceptable, right? Of course you would. Who wants criminals and, and psychotics in their life? And that's how it's taught to Scientologists. The trick comes in with disconnection when they try to have or have to convince you that your mother or your son or whoever is close to you is a psychotic antisocial personality because they are deriding der or you know speaking antagonistically or derogatorily about Scientology. And uh, those are the dots they have to connect, and that's how that happens, and it does not ever happen on day one. Uh, that sort of thing definitely doesn't happen until you are sold that Scientology is the shit, and you need it in your life. And it's, it's at when you're at that point that they would start putting the thumbscrews on you if they needed to, if there was somebody that they felt you need, that you needed to disconnect from. So that's how that works. Okay, folks, so that's the end of the show. Don't forget, next week, 10 a.m., right here on this channel, we will be doing a live stream from right here and I, of our Q&A show. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I am really looking forward to it. If you like this show and you find it educational, informative, and entertaining, please do consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash chrisshelton or throwing some love my way through PayPal. You guys and your support are what keep this show going and keep my channel going, and I really, really appreciate it. I've got some great content coming up in the very near future that's actually already shot. I just need to edit it and put it all together. Uh, really, you know, some kind of long form, uh, excellent video work, I think, that you guys are really going to like, uh, if I say so myself. And so, um, anyway, you know, like I said, your support really makes all of this possible. So, thank you, all of you who are doing that, and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.